be seated and take your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to take two weeks off from our study in John um, here at Christmas time and then Lord willing, the first week of January, we'll jump into John 15 and continue our study through the Gospel of John. But today I want to give you a message called, When the Right Time Came, from Galatians 4. And of course, I know uh, we're a week away from Christmas. I know that's on our minds. Um, for some of us, it's on our sweaters this morning. Um, it's all around us. And so, um, for, I think for most people, that I think this is a... It is the most wonderful time of, of the year for, for, most, for most people. There are some Scrooges out there, some Grinches out there, but um, I hope for you it's a time of year that's filled with good memories. Um, do you remember? I mean, we're all grown ups in here. Do you remember the, how it felt to not be able to fall asleep on Christmas morning as a, or Christmas night, Christmas Eve as a kid? I still remember that feeling, right? And the excitement of waking up. and, and um, So memories... Um, I hope for all of us, it's a time to think about our family. I think for most of us, it's a time to eat some good food. And so there's so many things that we do, giving and receiving gifts and going to parties and, and different things. But we all know, and Nick just prayed it, Jesus is the reason for the season, is the saying we've heard our whole lives. And so I, I want to make sure and remind us here this, this day that um, we see the truth of Christ coming and the importance of it during this season. And I know, I, I feel like in our church that we know this. We know that, that Christ is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. And so, but I want us to look into the Word and see what it says here. So Galatians 4, and our key verse is verse 4. So look with me at verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time was come... God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, and made under the law. But as you guys know, we want to make sure we're seeing this verse in context, right? So we're going to go back and read verses 1 through 7. So Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. To me, that's a beautiful seven verses. And I'm going to try to dig into these a little bit, focused around, of course, verse 4. But I want to make sure we understand that when Paul wrote this a couple thousand years ago, uh, there were churches in this city of Galatia, this town of Galatia, and these, these certain people, these false teachers, had crept in and began to tell the people, if you're going to be right with God, you must obey the law. That was kind of their thing. 
you must do this, 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 and obey this law to be right with God. And so Paul writes this letter to, to these churches to say, no, uh, salvation, righteousness comes only through faith in Christ. Through faith alone are you saved. And so he writes this letter to explain that. And so we're going to focus again on the seven verses, but specifically on verse 4. And I want to give you a really simple outline this morning, three things that Christmas should be about. Three things that my Christmas and your Christmas should be about. Number one, and it's in order. Number one, first and foremost, Christmas is about God, right? It's about Him. It's about His glory, you know, the beauty of His character, the greatness of His fame. It's about who God is in reality, in the Word, in the world, and in your life. It's about who He is. And so if we go through the next week, and all we think about is shopping and eating, then we're missing the point, right? We should be thinking about who is this God that willingly gave his son to come to this earth to die for our sins. And we should think about his glory. His, think about this. In the coming of Christ, in the sending of the son, as we see in verse 4 there, it says as God sent his son, in the coming of Christ we see the grace of God, don't we? Isn't that grace that he gave his son? We also see in his coming the power of God. And I won't dive into this this morning, but uh, maybe next week, but we know that Christ was born of a virgin, right? And so in the coming of Christ, we see the miraculous, the power of God in the coming of Christ. And we also see the humility of our Lord in the way Christ came to this earth. So we see his glory. We also see, B, there is his eternal plan. It says, when the fullness of time was come, and so God says there was a certain, Paul says there was a certain time God had planned for the Son to come. And I want you to see not only the glory of God in this, but notice the eternal plan of salvation. It was God's plan to send the Son. By the way, it's a triune plan too. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit agreeing together for this to be the plan of salvation. It was always God's plan to send the Son. It was always God's plan to save His elect. It was always God's plan to do those things, and nothing could stop that plan. Well, what if, you know, what if, you know, again, hypothetically, what if Abraham wouldn't have followed the call? What if so-and-so wouldn't have followed the call? What if Joseph and Mary wouldn't have followed the call? Would anything have stopped God's plan? No. God is sovereign over all things. So we celebrate His coming to earth as the sovereign, as a sovereign glory, and as a sovereign plan. But of course, we know we celebrate Christ's coming. And again, verse four talks about that. And and and, and I, I titled the sermon "When the Right Time Was Come." Your Bible may say, "When the fullness of time was come." And so there's this idea that when God prepared for Christ to come, it certainly was the perfect time for Christ to come. And we know that because we trust the Bible. We trust that. God's word is true. We trust that God is sovereign. But I want to give you, and if you're taking notes, jot these down, a few thoughts here about what was going on in the world. What was going on in the world? And before you write this down, here's why I say this. A lot of people believe God is sovereign in his doing, but not necessarily sovereign in his planning. I want you to see that God is not only sovereign in the present action that he does in our lives, but God has always been sovereign all along. He's not only sovereign in his doing, he's also sovereign in his planning. And so look at how God kind of shaped the world. First, Christ came at the right time politically. 
Now, a couple historical notes here. Some of you remember hearing it in school maybe about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There was a time before Christ came where that was a part of the world. And so in some ways, the world was more, the known world was more united than ever before. And so it was the right time politically in the sense that the world was in, in, in some ways united. It was also the right time geographically. The Roman road, the Roman road system had been built. And so there was this... Um, connection that people have because they could travel more easily across the known world at that time. So politically, geographically, culturally, the Greek language, which is what our New Testament was written in, Koine Greek, the Greek language had spread across the land, and so there was this common language that people spoke which would allow for the early preaching of the gospel to be spread, written down and spread more easily. Finally, it was the right time religiously. So politically, geographically, culturally, and religiously. If you read the end of the Old Testament, the prophets there, and if you think about the fact that there were, what, 400 years of silent years between Old and New Testament, there seems to be this, this uh, religious stalemate or religious apathy going on for many people. Um, you read historically how paganism at that time was still a thing, but it was also failing. Um, and so there's this just sense of groaning and desire for something religiously in the world, for something religious in the world. And so in this fullness of time, in the fullness of time, when the right time had came politically, economically, culturally, and religiously, when the right time came, God sent his son. He knew, God knew, he planned it to be the perfect time. Verse 4, he sent his son made of a woman. Martin Luther uh, speaks about that part of the verse saying that it, that is referencing to the virgin birth, but we know he was born of a woman and made under the law. I may, may reference that more next week. But I want to come back to our main point. Christmas, your Christmas season, make sure you don't forget about the Lord, your Heavenly Father, the Son, the Spirit. God is who this season is about. And if we miss that, we've just We've missed everything. Number two, I don't mean this selfishly, but number two, Christmas is about us. Again, I don't mean this selfishly. This is not like, you know what it is about me. I'm going to do what I want to do and get all the gifts I want to get or whatever. That's not what I mean. Look again with me at verses one and two and three. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. So what he's saying here is, in, in a Roman household, there might be a young son who's the heir of his father, but when he's young, he's not yet receiving the privileges and the benefits of, that, of being that heir. And so he actually is not as powerful in the home as a slave in the home at that time. But when he gets to a certain age and grows up to that certain point, and in Roman households that age differed, they would have a ceremony, and he would kind of become a man now, and he would begin to receive the privileges and the benefits of being the heir of his family. And so Paul writes and says, just as that's the case, verse 2, he's, that young child is still being governed. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. In verse 5, he talks about us. In verse 5, he says, we have a need to be redeemed, to redeem them that were under 
the law. And so the idea here, what I want you to see when I say Christmas is about us, is this. It's about God the Father sending his son to save us, to redeem us, to adopt us, to get us out from under something we could never get ourselves out from under. How many of us can obey the law that we were made under? How many of us could obey the law? None, right? If you go through the Ten Commandments, guess what? We all break all of them in some way or another in our lives. And that's just the Ten Commandments, not the other hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. We cannot get ourselves righteous enough. There's none good. There's none righteous. And so we see here in this text, how is Christmas about us? It's that God sent His Son to redeem us. That word redeem has words of um, like slavery connotations of, of uh, redeeming someone who had been uh, or purchasing a slave from the market to take. So you bought that person, you redeemed that person. And here he says that we have been redeemed by God. He has paid the price for us. He has chosen us and made us his own. Speaking of uh, slave owners and um, that type of thing, Many of you have read stories of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and I guess the most popular song of all time, I guess. And you, you've probably read some of his stories, some of his, um, he was a captain of a slave ship, and things like that before coming to Christ. Um, and he thought these, t- these verses important in Galatians 4, and then he cross-referenced it back to Deuteronomy. And so, listen to what Luther, oh, not Luther, excuse me, Newton kept above his fireplace, in his home. Deuteronomy 15, 15. He kept this in front of his eyes often. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God has redeemed you. Church, this Christmas season, we need to remember we have been redeemed by Christ. He has bought us back. But he goes even farther than just saying, you know what, you've been redeemed, you've been bought Look at the next part of the verse. Verse 5, that we might receive the, what's that word? Adoption of sons. I want to, we need to appreciate the the idea of the word adoption here. Adoption was prevalent in their day in first century times. Um, And when a son was adopted, he was brought into his family and made, you know, in all ways, just like that family. The name changed. He got the same name, same inheritance, same standing, same rights as a natural-born son. I love thinking about the biblical um, doctrine of adoption. And it should be close even to our church's heart right now, right, with Jacob and Nikki going through this process. And in just a couple of months, a month, or however long it is, uh, Jacob and Nikki, I'm going to use you as an illustration, Jacob, that they're going to take a child, and that child is going to have a name change, right? And that child's going to have a location change. That child is going to have a family change, and, and I believe, because of God's providence, in a positive way, that family, that child's going to have a life change, right? And so when God sent his son to redeem us, he also adopts us into his family. And God changes some of these things for us puts us in a new family, and he changes our lives. 
God gives us new brothers and sisters, even if we don't like all of them, although I do like, I do like mine, but he brings us into a family and he changes us for the better. Think about that. Think about how he changed us. And, and think about this reality that God adopts not someone that he doesn't, that doesn't know him. He adopts someone that is his enemy. The Bible says that we were the enemies of God, children of wrath, children of disobedience. And so when, when God goes to adopt us and adopts us, he knows that we are actually his enemies because of sin. And yet he overcomes that and brings us in. What a love the Father has for his children. The Westminster Catechism says this about adoption. It says, By adoption we are taught that all those justified by faith alone are received into the number of God's children, having his name put upon them, the spirit of his Son given to them, and they are under his fatherly care and admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. In other words, by adoption, those who've been justified by faith, we have the same inheritance, the same standing, and the same rights as the heirs of God. Christmas is about God first. It's also about his plan of salvation for us. And finally, number three, Christmas is about others. Now, if you start in verse 8, we're not going to read all these verses, but if you read 8 through 20, you're going to hear Paul's heart for the people, for the church, for the Christians. He is, he is desirous that they know God. And he talks about that um, here in these verses. Um, he's worried about them. He's, he's prayerful for them. He doesn't want them to f fall or, or turn from Christ. He wants them to know Christ. And if you skip down to verse 19... Showing his concern for the church. He calls them his little children. And he says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth or birthing pains, until Christ be formed in you. Now, I've never felt birthing pains, but I've been beside one who is feeling them. And I know it's not comfortable but Paul says I so want you to have Christ formed in you to be disciple to know Christ I want it so bad that I'm, I have the feeling of childbirthing pains about it that's how bad Paul wanted these other believers to know Christ and know him more how much do we want our fellow believers our church family to know Christ more. How bad do we want our spouse and our children, grandchildren, extended family, church family, how important is it to us that the people in our lives know Christ more and have Christ formed in them? Shouldn't that be more important than most everything else in our lives? And that's why we come here Wednesday and Sunday and encourage each other and share with each other and talk with each other because it helps the other person come to know Christ better. That's why we need each other. I hope this would be maybe someone's prayer for this year, this upcoming year. Father, may Christ be formed in us.
and me and you and us. Someone messaged me uh, about a tough time in their life. I actually had a couple of these this week. And I'm the worst at this. I should be better at what I say. But one thing I say to people when they say, I've had a really tough time, they'll say, um, well, I'll just give you an example. Someone who many of you know who's used to come to our church had a really bad accident recently. And I con- me and this person were in contact. And the first thing I said was, I really hate that that happened. And I do hate that that happened, right? I hate when somebody hurt, gets hurt or loses a loved one or whatever. But it's, I always feel a little weird when I say it because, you know, in some way, God allowed this thing to happen in, a, in their life for a certain reason. And maybe God allowed this thing in, in someone's life to get that person's attention or to cause them to trust him more. God has certainly done things in my life like that where I didn't want it to happen, but it happened, and God used that to draw me closer to him or to cause me to do something. And so, um, so I guess I need to say I hate that you're going through this, but I pray God will use it, right, for his glory and to strengthen your faith. I pray God will use it. I hate that you're experiencing it, but I pray God will use it to bring glory to his name and to strengthen your faith in him and bring you closer to him. Maybe that's what I need to say more clearly to people. This week, some friends of mine um, had a baby girl, and they knew a few months ago that she had some issues in the womb and was probably not going to make it. And she was born this week, um, you know, stillborn, and they were able to actually get her and dress her and take pictures with her. And if you see the pictures, it looks like a perfect little baby girl. But, you know, she was not alive. She didn't, she didn't make it out. And I contacted the guy and was talking to him, and, and I just said, because I've experienced that same thing, actually talking to Jesse this morning, we experienced that same thing 10 years ago this uh, next month, and uh, so we would have another kid that would be 10 years old, but the Lord works through all that. But um, So I was trying to just give him guidance because I've been through something similar, and I, I was thinking about the sermon, and I just said, hey, I know it feels like the worst thing that you've ever experienced right now, but somehow, someway, God will use this. And God will give you peace. This is a Christian family, I know it. God will give you peace. He'll give you hope. He will somehow, if I've learned anything in 41 years of life, it's this. God will somehow work all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I haven't learned much else, but that's one thing I've learned to be true. If you know him, you've been called according to his purpose, he will work all things together for good somehow. I believe that. But I pray that God would give us this desire that the Apostle Paul has for his, the people he loves, that God would give us this desire for each other. I pray that we would, as we end this year and begin to think about the next year, talk more about spiritual things. I hope that we would pray more with each other and for one another, that we would listen to one another, that we would be willing to share with one another when maybe we have a need that we need to talk about, that we'll find someone in our church family we can talk with. I pray that we would not just come for an hour on Sunday and hear a sermon and then go on about our lives without seeing how that sermon might affect us and the people around us. May God give us a desire to see Christ formed in us and to see Christ formed in others. So, Christmas. It's about the Lord. It's about what he did to save us. And it's about 
the people around us. May God help us to actively seek to praise and worship Him, think about Him, to think about our salvation, and to serve others as best we can. In just a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. I'm excited to do this today with my church family. I think it's a great time for us to reflect on the things we just talked about. And um, we know this is one of the two ordinances that the church we have in the church. And the scripture is clear that we should examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Uh, the scripture is clear that we should approach this, um, this time with awe and reverence and that we should take this as, uh, very seriously. Um, anyone who has made a profession of faith in Christ and, and good standing with the church uh, is welcome to partake this morning. If you are not a believer, um, I would encourage you to abstain. And, and regardless of if you partake or not, we are all here together this morning, and we're all observing uh, the bread and the wine, uh, which represents uh, the body and the blood of Christ, which was poured out for us.